Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So I'd like to ask everybody who's online to come on camera too, please. I'd like to know who I'm talking to, please. Um, this is class 30, I believe, of our 30, 33 class structured study of jhana meditation. This sutta is the Yasa Sutta, subtitled Freedom from Entanglements. And the whole point of developing a well-concentrated mind let me interrupt myself for much just a moment. Jeff, it's good to see you again. Jeff has joined us again for the first time in a while. Good to see you um, too. <clears throat> um, particularly <clears throat> in this sutta, the entanglement that the belief and faith of anything will cause us to do, including the faith that a teacher can lead you to salvation or that the Buddha was teaching something that could be seen as salvific and that he should be worshipped as someone who could offer salvation. So immediately you'll see in the sutta that the Buddha realizes that the group that's about to approach him and, and ask for his teaching are doing so because the associations that they form within their group exaggerated the belief that the Buddha was a savior and that all they had to do was approach him and they'd be good to go. Um, as the Buddha teaches in many suttas, nothing in the Dhamma, nothing in the Buddha's Dhamma, nothing in Buddhism, real Buddhism, is to be taken on faith. Everything is to be directly experienced. And there is nothing that's taught or that we teach here that cannot be directly experienced by any human being who takes up this practice. The Yasa Sutta, the Buddha was teaching in Inkanagala. That's the first time I said that without stumbling over that word. The locals all knew of the, I was practicing late into the night, Inkanagala, Inkanagala. The locals all knew of the Buddha as a rightly self-awakened human being who was unexcelled as a teacher and whose teachings are entirely useful and practical. They were a close-knit group who, who depended on their group for direction and guidance rather than the Buddha's direct teachings. They prepared a feast with many delicacies. That's why I have these things here. For the Buddha and his Sangha. They approached the Buddha's dwelling and began making a noisy racket. The venerable Nagita was attending the Buddha. The Buddha asked Nagita what all that racket was about. Great teacher. Those are the locals who have brought many delicacies to honor you and the Sangha. The Buddha said, Nagita, I do not seek honor or recognition. Whoever cannot obtain through their own understanding and with ease, as I do, the pleasure of renunciation, the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of peace, the pleasure of self-awakening, let them consent to this common pleasure, meaning worship this dulling pleasure, this pleasure born of gain and of receiving offerings and fame, associating yourself with a, with a famous teacher, which was all the rage during the Buddhist time, 
and it's still all the rage. We all want to have a well-known teacher with a big reputation, and that's fine. Until you find out, as I did, that many of those teachers with the great reputations couldn't teach me <coughs> what I wanted to learn. It doesn't mean they weren't teaching something that was that they were sincere about, but it wasn't what I was looking. And as I discovered, it wasn't what I would call right my little world, my Dhamma world. I wouldn't call it Buddhism because I found something that was taught directly by the Buddha that was for this human being and others that I've taught that works. And that's the only um, uh, qualification that I ever needed for any Dhamma or Dharma was something that actually worked that I could understand. And it wasn't until I came across what the Buddha actually taught that anything made any sense to me or was any value. Nagita says, great teacher, Please relent now. The locals will follow you because of your virtue and understanding, meaning because of who you are and what you're teaching, not because of their worship. Again, Nagita, I do not seek honor or recognition. Whoever cannot obtain through their own understanding and these, as I do, the pleasure of renunciation, the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of peace, the pleasure of self-awakening, let them consent to this common pleasure this dulling pleasure, this pleasure born of gain and of receiving uh, offerings and fame. In other words, receiving more distraction, a practice that is rooted in distraction towards salvation rather than something you can directly employ and experience yourself. There are many who are unable to develop with understanding, the understanding with ease that leads to the pleasure of renunciation, the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of peace, the pleasure of self-awakening. When people all live together, assemble together, and live committed to dwelling with a group, they are unable to develop understanding with ease, which is why they live together, assemble together, and live committed to dwelling with a group. That's, a, that's one long sentence, isn't it? Um, what the Buddha is talking about is what we see all over the world today. Extreme examples of tribalism or gathering together in a group, and that becomes your reality. And look what's going on everywhere. And this has now become the um, a modern religion or almost a modern sport. And we're even developing certain social platforms that are even geared towards even ever more isolated communities. And we're relishing in this. We're spending billions of dollars in establishing ever deeper levels of tribalism. And we're delighted about it, aren't we? While we're incredibly pissed off at the same time because people around us aren't joining the same tribe that we're a part of. And we can't, that's unacceptable, isn't it? We can't have all these different tribes with all these different ideas. We can't have freedom and liberation, can we? We can only have ignorance. The same thing that's occurring in the world today was occurring 2,600 years ago. No different. The same motivations, the same intentions, the same desire for ongoing ignorance maintained through my associations and my own tribalism. It's remarkable how, how directly how directly the Dhamma addresses what's going on in the world today, but it makes sense, doesn't it? The Buddha taught a Dhamma for ignorant human beings to develop understanding of four noble truths. And so unless you did that, 
you're going to continue ignorance of four noble truths and continue your unwise associations and your tendency towards tribalism. The Gita, when I see a community delighting in their interactions, laughing loudly, grabbing at one another, I know that they will not be able to develop the pleasure of renunciation, the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of peace, and the pleasure of self-awakening, which is why they are delighting in their interactions, laughing loudly and grabbing at one another. In other words, their ongoing party, their ongoing societal structure is working perfectly for them. It keeps them in ignorance. And the Buddha is telling them right off the bat, through the Gita, that I can't teach you unless you let go of your tribalism first. And how, do we, how does he address that? By saying, I'm just a human being just like you are. But for them to accept that, they have to accept that, wait a minute, he's not part of our tribe, but yet he's saying he's one of us. It's the most compassionate example a human being ever offered another human being. And the example is still there today. And we're still exampling that same thing. There's a way of living in the world that doesn't require worship and it doesn't require salvation. It only requires understanding. And that understanding brings calm and peace. <clears throat> the Buddha continues. Then there are those communities who revel in food, eating as much as they want, who take pleasure in sensory contact, pleasure in lying down, pleasure in dullness. I know that they will not be able to develop the pleasure of renunciation, the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of peace, the pleasure of self-awakening, having eaten as much as they want, taking pleasure from sensory contact and from lying down in dullness. I mean, that's how most of life is presented to us and that we buy into. Excuse me. That life is really a game of acquisition and that the winners are the ones that have the most at the end. Of course, those are typically the biggest losers, especially they're attached to everything they acquired over their life. Greed, aversion, and deluded thinking are the three defilements that the Buddha taught. Nothing else, but it covers everything. Am I grasping after something in this moment, something that I feel I need to either protect myself or to, or to add something that I think is lacking in me? That's called self-loathing, isn't it? That's called greed, too, isn't it? I need something about me to be more than I am. Well, that's the most hurtful thought any human being can ever have, isn't it? Because all we can ever be is who we are. I am what I am. I'm Papa. The understanding of a six-property person. We're going we're gonna to get into the Dr. Vibhanga Sutta soon. I am made up of six properties and nothing more. No matter how I live my life, no matter what I win or lose, whatever I gain or lose, I'll always be a six property person. But if I start attaching myself and associating myself through tribalism or mere acquisition, all I'm doing is putting layers and layers on top of my own ignorance, aren't I? And it becomes ever more difficult to extricate myself from my own layering of ignorance no matter how painful it gets no matter how painful it gets for an alcoholic and a drug addict like i used to be because i didn't care how painful it got as long as i could keep under suppression 
my own self-loathing through drugs and alcohol. And everybody does this with something. Not everybody is fortunate enough to have something so immediate like I was. Some of us are addicted to things that are much more um, difficult to let go of, such as sex or shopping or golf, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we all have something that we use. We all have a strategy that we employ to continue our own ignorance, no matter how painful it gets. The Buddha continues. Then there are those who attempt to develop concentration in a community where disturbance is likely. This, I know, is not conducive to developing the Dhamma. I used to be a member of many different suttas, uh, sanghas, and they all had socialization and aspects of social socializing that was way more important than any kind of practice. Even practices that I went to, that we might take meditation, for instance, seriously. But after the meditation was when the big party was, and it was a, it was a, a, a gathering of sometimes 150 or 200 people, kind of a potluck dinner. But one of the interesting things I noticed is that there was always a larger group at the dinner than there were at the actual sitting meditation. <laughs> really, and I know it, it took me a while to realize maybe there's something I should look at here. But that was also because I was engaged in that old, the, my own part of tribalism, and I was very good friends with it, with a very famous teacher at the time, and I, it was hard for me to let go of that. But again, when I, when I came to the Dhamma, I was able to recognize this, that I was doing this to myself. And so I was able to recognize that you're all doing it to yourself, and that the solution is still the same, even though our lives are quite different. Buddha continues. But those, like us, those that have found the root of a tree or an empty hut, well secluded, meaning those that are practicing jhana as the method, as intended, even though they may be drowsy, they will dispel their drowsiness and be mindful of their seclusion. They're committed to their dharma practice. It takes that level of commitment, not much, excuse me, but a certain measure of commitment, not faith, that gets you through your first two or three or five or 10 or 100 meditation sessions. You understand from the beginning that you're not doing this for a reward, that just your effort alone is going to bring you some kind of supernatural reward somehow. But through your own efforts, and immediately you'll be able to see the results of your practice. And you'll also be part of a sangha immediately that is talking about the results of that practice which is, by the way, the reason why we do talk about the results of our practice. Because that's how our practice becomes self-invigorating rather than relying on faith. <clears throat> the Buddha continues. Then there are those who have established seclusion and are not well concentrated. Meditating in seclusion, they will quickly develop concentration and will protect their concentration. They will end their distracted mind and be mindful of their seclusion. The Buddha is just offering this gentle encouragement from 2,600 years ago. If you don't notice it right away, just keep going. Just keep going and you will. Then there are those that have established seclusion and are well concentrated. They will develop clinging release, meaning uh, from clinging to views ignorant of four noble truths. They will develop clinging release. They have found the benefit from seclusion, from isolating yourself first from the world 
and then deepening that seclusion so that rest in concentration that allows you to get up off your cushion and through concentration and refined mindfulness, remain gracefully disentangled from the world moment by moment in each moment of your life as your life unfolds. Imagine that. Imagine the liberation of peace of being able to walk through the world just like that. And we all have experienced it, except maybe Leah, not in this way, but very soon she will. But is, has anybody here not experienced that release in the moment that you recognize situations where you might have gotten caught up in the world, entangled in the world, and you realize you were going in that direction and you took a breath and you stayed out of that entanglement? Is anybody not? If you're online and you're and you're don't don't just raise your hand because I can't see it. You got to speak up. It works. The Buddha continues. Then there are those that cling to a group and takes food, clothing, shelter, and recognition from the group. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm a I'm a, a Thai practitioner. I'm a Theravadan. I'm a this. I'm a that. I'm a golfer. You know. How about just being a human being? How about just being a human being? The problem is that we think we have to be something other than a human being. When the truth of the matter is, we can't be anything other than a human being, can we? I mean, we can speculate on it. We can, if I practice certain commandments, I might get to heaven. But I could never practice those commandments anyway. And I was more concerned about where I was going in this life. <laughs> And then I came across Buddhism. And I thought, well, this is something that's free of religion and free of salvation. And every practice I ever came across was rooted in salvation and acquiring something in the next moment, but never here, but almost always in another life as a favor for being a good practitioner. The largest form of modern Buddhism has nothing to do with Buddhism. It's called engaged Buddhism. And it's a practice of doing good. The Buddha described that quality of, that he had himself. And he always uses it when he describes himself prior to his awakening. He says, prior to my awakening, prior to my awakening, when I was a bodhisattva, a human being imbued with great compassion for other human beings, but lacking the wisdom to know what to do with it. And look at the great tragedies that have fallen befallen people because of that one idea. I'm talking about the Christian Crusades or now modern jihad or anybody else that insists that they're going to save you. Or anytime you think that you're going to do something that's going to save another human being, you're contributing to that kind of dukkha. And we don't have to do that anymore, do we? Because we don't have to save ourselves and we don't have to save anybody. We can lose all of our tribalism. And as soon as we lose the need to be a savior, we also lose our tribalism. Then there are those that cling to a group and takes food, clothes, shelter, and recognition from the group, group and you become enamored with the group. They do not establish seclusion and will not end distraction. So I was a part of many, many local groups, little tribal groups of, of Buddhism. And every time I began, I thought, this is it. I found it. Or I might have been fond of a 
young lady or two at the group too. But that was enough to get me committed and then figure out, well, yeah, this this will work somehow for me. And the longer I did it, the harder it was to realize this is just a waste of my time and leave. Why? Because I had established and was maintaining my own type of tribalism, my association, my clinging associations with these very nice people. And it was hard to leave. But eventually I had to leave all of that and all of those associations behind me until I could develop the Buddhist Dhamma. And we're all doing that. We are forming a wise association here as far as our Dhamma practice is concerned because we all agree when we come into this room, from outside this room, that this is what we're going to, be, to practice and nothing else because it works. Or at least we'll find out that it doesn't work for us. The Buddha continues, Nagita. Then there are those well-established in seclusion who receive food, clothes, shelter, and recognition from a group, knowing the benefit of seclusion and restraint. No disturbance will arise in them. They know not to start forming an identity or an association or a clinging to this other group, no matter what they might bestow on you. No matter how, with me, no matter how many, uh, try it. You start giving me like, you know, little bars of gold and just see what happens to me. See, <laughs> see if I make something, I don't know. I might. Are the eggs still okay? The eggs are enough. <laughs> it, actually, those eggs that Ram gives me or Becky are worth the price of admission. The point is, do we really want to lose our, our whole life and our minds over what we have in our wallets? And yet we all do. Or even what is really more common than what we have in our wallets, what we hope people think we have in our wallet. That's the bigger distraction, isn't it? And so sometimes we might buy a nice big leather coat or something. I can't really afford it, but people will know me as a success. Or maybe a nice fast car that I really can't afford, but the girls will like. Or all the other foolish things that I did for most of my life trying to impress others. It all was because I was rooted in self-loathing, wasn't I? There was something missing in me that I thought a coat or a car. Or I remember in, in uh, you know, I was never much taller than I am now. But there was a time in my life when I shot up from 5'7 to 5'8 and a half. They're called platform shoes. <laughs> I almost broke my neck on them, but I didn't because I needed to be short. I needed to be taller. I couldn't stand being 5'7". That extra inch and a half made me everything I needed to be. They come with bell-bottom jeans, too. You should see some of those pictures. <laughs> bell-bottom jeans. I had an outfit on <laughs> the, uh, Very briefly, the outfit was a bright orange sport jacket, and I wore that for about six months before... Somebody told me I'd better not. Knowing the benefit of seclusion and restraint, no disturbance will arise in them. The benefit of seclusion and restraint. While we're walking through the world, we're not just talking about on our cushion now, are we? We're talking about Dharma practice, off our cushion, moving through the world moment by moment in seclusion with wise restraint in each and every moment. How does it happen? To a mind well concentrated through jhana meditation and then framed by the Eightfold Path.
I just want to check something. I want to read that once more. Just listen to the words once again. Friends, then there are those well established in seclusion who do receive food, clothing, and shelter and recognition from a group. They mean they receive the things that they need to keep going, but nothing more. Those knowing the benefit of seclusion and restraint, no disturbance will arise in them. That last line is a complete Dhamma teaching to those that know the Dhamma. Thank you for listening tonight. Um, if I can see the call on you. Sorry about this. Um, Brian, you were the first one on. How are you tonight? I'm good, John. Hi, Jeff. It's good to see you again, buddy. Starting to worry about you. <laughs> well, we um, no more. Here he is. There he is. Uh, I feel like this sutta is my life right now, where I've I've cultivated dispassion. I've disentangled myself from the world. I, I enjoy the pleasures of seclusion and restraint and um, concentration. And I find myself back out in the world right now for work at conferences and social events and just being dropped into all of this distraction um, and just seeing it so clearly now and, and not wanting to associate with it and, and seeing my own aversion to being in these situations. Um, and so I've kind of, I've gone through to the other side where now it's like, okay, I, I've got to be, I'm, I'm obliged to be here from a, a professional standpoint. It gets down into that, that subtle aversion now to the, those events. I, I had one come up today where I've got to go do this executive offsite and they're like, you can choose from fishing or golfing. I'm like, I don't, I want to do either of those. Right. But I pick one. <laughs> Um, and I know that the only thing that's suffering right now is my ego that doesn't want to do that. It'll be fine, right? Either one I pick, it's just, it'll be what it, what it is. Cause that's, that's all it can be. So, um, this really hit home tonight. And I, again, it was just, it's, it's clear to me that it's the defilements that are affecting my, my relationship to being back out in the world, I guess, if you will, not the world. So how easily do you get re-entangled in the world when you're in those situations and what do you do when you are well i i don't because uh, it, it's just so different now um but it, it i'm just on the breath more right i'm just constantly coming back to the breath and then looking for an easy exit strategy or do the irish ditch and get out as soon as possible at this point <laughs> <laughs> and you 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 started practicing about a year and a half or two years ago. I can't remember. Yeah, exactly. I think it's yeah, a year and a half ish. Yeah. And yeah, and it's a it is a distinct um, difference between Brian from a year and a half ago to now. But it was also a gentle progression, no? It's been so subtle. I don't unless I look back, I don't I don't realize it. And then I was I was at an event Saturday. I was just like, wow, I am not in the same place as these people anymore. It's yeah, and that's not a put down of them. It's a recognition not at all. of mindfulness. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Right. I, somebody even remarked to me, like, how are you sitting here not talking? And I'm like, I meditate a lot. And they're like, what does that mean? And I'm like, and I'm trying to have this dial and they're just laughing. Right. I'm like, okay, I'll just go back to my breath now. Thanks. <laughs> it's cool. Well, no um, reason to say something when there's nothing to say. Yeah, there's that too. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Uh, where are we there? Jane, how are you? I'm fine, John. 
Yeah, kind of like Brian. I mean, I feel different now, too, when I'm out in the world. It's like, I don't feel I have to, you know, get involved in things. I mean, I can just be myself. And, you know, if I want to, I'll get involved in a little something. But just keep moving along and not really worry what people think or, yeah. you know. It's nice, huh? It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Jane. You. I'll see you Friday. Yes, you will. Good evening, Julia. Thanks, John, for this. This was really great. Um, I noticed that, like, when I'm I'm going to work or or somewhere out in public or like an event or something, I'll I'll tell myself, like, not purposely, it just pops up. All right, time to play along now. Like, time to. <laughs> this is a part of life. Like, I'm just gonna go play. Like, this is just. <laughs> Um, like, let me play this role. Like, let me just join the world for a little bit. Um, cause you know, you do it consciously. Of... what you do it consciously. Yeah. Yeah. It just, um, that's just kind of what I tell myself because there's really no, uh, getting out of some stuff. Like I have to associate with the world if I'm a human being and it's just mm -hmm. a part of it. And I like it though, because, you know, I get to see the subtle ways that my practice is showing. Um, and yeah, but I do like, I, I recognize that I, when I'm by myself, I'll cling to things rather than when I'm with others. Um, rather than if I'm like at an event, like not really, not, not really like on what they think of me or anything like that. More of like when I'm alone, I'll cling to something that I think I need or want. Um, I think you're just getting it's it. There's less distraction than when you're alone and you're just recognizing that, you mm -hmm. know, when you're out with out in the world with, a, with some other people, you tend to be distracted just by the activity. And so you are probably not even noticing that. I see. But then, I you, see. but then you do when you start, when you start, um, when a reaction starts arising in you, that's when you notice your entanglement, right? Um, yeah. Such as the, the, uh, the older nurse. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to remind No, it's okay <laughs> to bring that up. No problem. But I, yeah, I do when, when I get work you know, gossip is happening. I, I do remember to come back to my breath and, you know, turn the chair around a little slowly and, uh, yeah, get back to my business. But, um, there is something that's when you were talking about like the tribal and groups, like I noticed that there is something, there's this, what's that called? fabrication of, a of, comfort there but really it's not right. real comfort i think it's comfort but it's not yeah it's comfort just based on the association itself which is nothing it's just you know it's all rooted in impermanence yeah so when you see you, you notice that too i mean the groups groups of people tend to change and morph collectively you know and, and you you either continue along that or you don't you know, or you extricate yourself completely as you're doing, Julia. So. And then I see other people in groups and 
And then a part of me, you know, sometimes jealousy arises, but then I think like, do I actually want to be a part of that? (laughs) And what's your answer? No. (laughs) Yeah. It's the right (laughs) answer. Thanks, Julia. Drake, how are you? Oh, hi, John. Oh, good. Yeah. Really happy to be here. And uh, I'm glad you joined us. I enjoyed reading the suture. And yeah, I, I was just kind of learning about, you know, happiness is a state of mind. So rather than seeking happiness and other things, relationships or experiences, just focusing on those like three qualities in the Satipatthana of like ardent, clearly knowing and mindful and uh, just trying to establish a a continuity of mindfulness and some concentration and, um, you know, kind of using the mindfulness of the body and even uh, mindfulness of bones seems to be a kind of to think it sinks my attention into the body as a place, an anchor, and then kind of exploring using my chest area as an anchor for a mindful attention. Uh, but yeah, and also I was, yesterday I was reading, oh, I was just reading about uh, Sila, and one of the benefits is uh, the happiness of non-remorse. And uh, yesterday, my mind was going wild. I was just like, it was like a reaction to having like three weeks of good practice. And then I was just off the wall yesterday. But um, I finally settled down at night and I was studying Vishuddhamaga on uh, Sila. And, um, but that I was, today it made sense because like the pleasure of renunciation, the pleasure of uh, seclusion, it's also the, the pleasure of non-remorse, you know, kind of. Uh, Those things like remorse, so it, they're, they're, they're addressed in a more general way in this practice that uh, anything like uh, remorse is just a self-referential view. And so rather than focusing on remorse or resentment against myself, I just recognize, we just recognize as, as any of those uh, emotions, a thought attached to a feeling such as an emotion, such as remorse, I don't have to examine it or, or even describe it. I just know that my mind is agitated and distracted. And I take a breath and remind myself that the emotion is not me. It's because of my self-identification with something that I label or the world labels as remorse then it becomes sticky, but recognizing that any of those emotions are just fleeting and have nothing to do with me except the fleeting experience. Then I'm, then I move past uh, the remorse and I'm just resting in this present moment. But there's, there's a lot of the, of the Dhamma that gets us pointed away from analysis and examination and other kinds of distraction. and just gets us to rest in a, unite a mind in its body and rest there in that knowing. But if you continue with us, you'll see that a little bit more clearly, I think, as we go along. So, I'm glad you joined us tonight, Drake. Slav, how are you tonight? I'm doing good. How about you, John? I'm good. Where'd you uh, get at tonight? Similar problem. Huh? You have a similar problem? I don't have problem. I have similar experience like Brian and Julie on the oh. work and uh, some person tried to involve me in some drama and it's half of this and also kind of wait for me some confirmation and I kind of like 
said, uh, I'm so sorry, I not try to be rude, not respond because I'm quiet guy, I'm shy guy, and I see you suffering, and it's no matter what I answer now, it's going to be contribute to your suffering. So it's actually yeah. why I just quiet, I'm not rude guy. Yeah. And try to move on because, you know. So. It's the right thing to do. It's dollar practice. Exactly. Not, that's such a good example of not getting entangled in, in other yeah, people's and, stuff. Yeah, and people try to involve you. You have to work with these people. And, and it's true. I see the suffering, this drama. And yeah, but it doesn't matter what they're going to say. And kind of like try to push me or say something. I said, it doesn't matter what they're going to say. It's going to be just contribute to your suffering. That's it. So yeah, it's wait. Just what you're describing is the true, the true noble silence. You know, noble silence is not something we just decide to do for three days on retreat. There's nothing noble about that type of silence. Noble silence is knowing when it's improper for me to open my mouth. Right speech or practicing right speech or silence when it's appropriate informs noble silence, not the other way around. So you were describing right speech and it's just like that. It's just that practical. Yeah. You know. So when there's nothing else to say, or there's nothing that you can contribute that would be worthwhile, keep your mouth shut. So, and uh, Slav has just put in his application for teacher training. I don't know if we're gonna accept it or not. <laughs> You're in Slav, welcome. <laughs> Thank you, it's very pleasant. Yeah, we'll see if you live long enough to finish it, but. Uh... <laughs> Jeff, so good to see you, how are you doing? Well, John. Hello, everybody. Um, yeah. I, I miss not speaking with you all directly, but I listen all the time to the recordings, and that's been a uh, a great help for me. So, yeah, I've I've developed the habit of five minute meditations because I have a really pressing schedule and a really strange setting. I went from retirement to a project manager for construction in the oil field. Oh, and, uh, really? Wow. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So uh, it's a regular, a regular uh, break for me to take five minutes and uh, just find some place if I can to breathe and relax. And it, 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 uh, it really makes it almost pleasant, no matter how much chaos there is. Um, I can just kind of ride. I don't know if I'm riding above it or just it. It just doesn't bother me. It, I don't have to take it seriously or personally. Yeah. Are uh, you are you not living at home? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> in addition to the job changes, I, my health has taken some turns. So mm -hmm. I'm on a seven week sabbatical at the Mayo Clinic as we speak. Are you? getting some treatments so and working remotely so yeah you know thing, things are a little different but i actually have time now to zoom in so well i'm glad you did why don't you uh, give me a call in a day or so let's catch up i shall i look forward to it yeah thanks for joining you. tonight my friend good seeing everybody oh you forgot the camera i need that nah, i'm not gonna bother with it jennifer um yeah, all of the above. Um, this teaching tonight really resonates. When I came to the practice, 
what was it like five years ago? Um, I was already at the beginning of this meeting to disentangle myself from the world. I was feeling it. And I didn't understand what was happening with me. Yeah. I was becoming very disillusioned with, you know, I was really involved in this group doing this thing and that group and seeking for my tribe. You're yeah. really, really looking for it and keeping busy to an insane amount. Um, but it wasn't working for me. I just kept butting my head against the wall. I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. Yeah. I thought it was me. And um, some things happened in my life, you know, that had prompted me to look for the Buddhist teaching, you know, and I found your practice. And that was the first thing that I went through. It was the very first thing that I was like, okay, I don't know what it was you were teaching or, you know, but I was like, okay, this is what's happening to me. I started to understand that I wanted to be disentangled from all of these things this constant search for my tribe or my clique or where I belonged, but none of it was fulfilling me. None of it was yeah. working. I was just seeing through all of it. I was almost feeling like I was on the outside of everything, looking in and saying, none of this makes sense. It's just crazy. Yeah. And, um, and then the teachings and the practice gave me the understanding and the strength to walk away from a lot of it and it was a very, very hard thing to go through yeah, because I stopped going to all these classes I was going through and all these things. And I was like, no, you need to step back. You need to stop. And, um, and I, I, I was able to see all of it for what it was. <clears throat> and, um, and like Julia said, I do get the yearning. You know, it does come back. You know, every once in a while, like, oh, you know. I see other people in, in, in these social settings and stuff, you know, and then, but then I remember, yeah, that it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. fulfill you. It just doesn't work. So that was the very, very first experience I went through with the teachings. Yeah. And, um, you knew right away it was, it was something that you could at least employ. Yeah. And, and I was already, when I came to the practice, I was already feeling this big disillusionment with, yeah. All of that. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Glad you joined us. Brett. Good to be here. <clears throat> Thanks for your teaching. Um, just reminded me to just, uh, with entanglements, you know, be have wise restraint more, <clears throat> you know, be able to step back for two seconds before I react. Mm situation recently and they're like all right well i would have waited a day or sometime <clears throat> in the current moment things just don't need to be said and then all of a sudden you have more <clears throat> more of a problem than you intended for so yeah it's a good reminder i read the other day so good to be here thank you yeah, i'm glad you're here it, it's never ever worked out for me when i said something that i ha absolutely had to say yeah. never <laughs> hello tom had a hard time meditating tonight. You know, I didn't have a concentration level really. It was, I was very distracted. Um, a lot of it, I think, was just entanglement, right? Like the drama of other people in life and getting pulled in and playing into the emotions that are involved in all that. Yeah. yeah so, freedom from that, I think, you know, obviously, to go back to having a concentration from meditation and, you know, uh, 
came back to that. Yeah. Understand, you know, it's going to take some time to get to it. You know, I spent a lot of time judging all of the thoughts that came up and getting caught in that. And, you know, I think uh, it's just remembering or, you know, getting the concentration level going back to my breath. And being able yeah. to when you found it, you were caught up in judging yourself for thinking and not just meditating. What did you do? I went back to my breath. That's Dhamma yeah. practice. That's all you need to know. Stop there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that it really. That's it. What the only thing that will change is you'll start getting more and more breaths in between the distraction. Right. But that's that's jhana meditation. So you might get ten thoughts before you're you're just or ten breaths before you're distracted to a thought. The ten breaths doesn't matter. What's important is you you caught yourself distracted again and came back to your breath. So it's not even a, a, a matter of building a lot of breaths. That, that will happen naturally. It is just recognizing when you're distracted by a feeling or a thought or a thought attached to a feeling, take a breath. And so that's, you were doing perfect jhana practice today. So good for you. Thanks, Tom. Leah, what do you, and nobody has to talk. So if you don't feel like you want to talk about it. So what do you think, Leah? Um, I enjoyed the meditation. I, I guess the overall, what I would say is, um, Although I have been practicing this particular type of practice with the same with this verbiage that um, I practice a very similar kind of mindfulness and awareness and practice in my life overall. Right. Um, in one regard, the unentanglement from the world, I I feel like I had a self-initiated in a way through COVID, um, yeah. not just in the way of being restrained in my house, but also um, disconnecting and you know, detaching from old paradigms and relationships and things yeah. that had me hooked. Good. Um, good. So in that way, I feel so strong that, you know, I, I worry about <laughs> socializing and going to parties, not that I'm a hermit, but so I'm working, I'm actually working on the balance of enjoying the togetherness, the relationships, the collectives and so forth without being attached to any continuation of a, a good feeling, a bad feeling, a story or whatever, just yeah. being in the moment with it, um, there and then being as if in the moment with self yeah. outside of there. So. Yeah, that, that's, that's the, the right view. You know, there's nothing wrong with being out in the world, just not entangled. Yeah. And the way to keep that in check is just not to have to be out in the world all the time. Right. And I find myself more and more just telling people to have, have a good amount of unstructured time. I mean, most of us do anyway. Well, some of us do, but you know, time that nothing is planned. It just, you know, let serendipity take place there. Yeah. You know, it sounds like you're doing that pretty good. Leah. Thank, Thank you. you. Welcome to our summit. So if you go on the website, you can listen to these uh, guided meditations. There's a whole bunch of information uh, and subscribe to the newsletter. Okay, good. We'll see you again soon. Uh, nice to meet you, Leah. Nice to meet you too, Dama teacher Ram. Oh. All right, let me go to Anthony first. <laughs> Our visiting dignitary. Hello, Anthony. Hello. Um, yeah, so I, I felt I was just experiencing tribalism in my own family because I just came from a family get together the last couple of days and um, I knew going in that they're extremely religious but I have such a history you know with uncles and aunts and cousins 
and I just bit the bullet. But yesterday got a little bit hard because we were in a banquet hall for five hours and it was five hours of praying and holding hands. And then the two preachers were performing miracles and other family members trying to cure cancer. Really? And get my aunt to get out of a walker. And you know, get out? fainting. And there was chat and they were speaking some people spoke in tongues. Man, we're coming to your part. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know? I, I, do, I do that all the time. And, and I felt really uncomfortable. Like, I don't know, I just felt like it just felt so insincere to me. And I and I felt mm. like I wanted to get out. I don't know. I can't explain like how it just was agitating to me and and, and it was hard to get through. Yeah. But uh, but then in balance, I look back at it and I said, you know what? But they really believe this, yep. you know, and so it's not phony to them, yeah. you know. And 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 out of the whole thing, twenty seventy five percent of it was good, you know. What I mean, like, yeah, but, it, but I have to admit, like, they're so engaged in that, and I I didn't feel the urge at all to get entangled with them. It was actually. The, the urge to not be entangled was making me very uncomfortable. Yeah, I can. I, the last time I was in church, I think, was before my, my mom got really sick. And she asked me, it had been years since I've been to church. And she said, just come to Christmas Eve this year to Christmas Eve mass. Said, okay. It was the first time she asked me. And I did. And it was just like, I couldn't. Couldn't believe, couldn't believe what I was missing. And it that it was because it had been years. And I was like, wow, I used to take well, I never really took it seriously, but I was used, I used to think there was something um <clears throat> reasonable. And again, it's not a put down of that, you know, it wasn't a put down of them, but I didn't hate being there. I was just like, I can't believe this. I mean you got the whole mass with the three officiants and all that. Oh yeah. I mean, they, they, the Christmas Eve mass was the big mass at at that particular parish, and again, they used to they use an auditorium for that mass every year because it was you know like everybody that never went to mass at all <laughs> comes on, on Christmas sure. Eve, including me, and it was just it was, but it ended up being like interesting, you know. Yeah. And that was okay. That's what people do. I knew it. And I think if we practiced a form of Buddhism that was religious, it would become the same thing for me. I wouldn't be here. It's not that I don't believe that, you know, I believe there could be a God. Maybe there isn't. I don't know. But I just think that to when you get down that track, that it becomes sort of a slippery slope. Yeah. I, for I me, believe, anyway, that's just my personal yeah, opinion. Like I hold it open the possibility that there's a creative force. In fact, I think that there probably is some kind of creative force somewhere, but it's got nothing to do with me. And I don't care what it is. You know, I'm, I know I'm not the creative force in the universe. So that's as far as I need to go. Yeah. And then like, how could all these different doctrines be right? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I remember there's so like many that different in, religions that can't all be right. You yeah. know, I, I just, I walked I up to it to much my simpler than that. I walked up to the nun. I think it was like fourth or fifth grade with, a, I thought it was a reasonable question. I said, what's the difference between a Catholic and a Methodist? And she hit well honestly, she hit me. That sounds like a Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, Catholic. To me, oh, yeah, Catholic, it was the most reasonable. I just wanted to know because I think I just heard the word and but she told you the Catholic yeah, she, will hit you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I should have I should have went to the method and see if they beat you too. I might have made the decision easier. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to see you. Dama teacher Ram, how's your religion? Oh, God. Um, yes, I, I uh, 
not when I was reading this, but actually what while you were um, while you were reading the sutta, I thought back on on <clears throat> my my you know my previous uh, association with Osho and then that whole community, and ah oh, man, there is so much of this you know entanglement and and identification. You know the guru worship, and you know all the the entanglement with with the, with the guru, yeah. um, and associating and, and reveling in this association with this famous teacher, all that. Yeah. Um, you know that it, it sets itself up as a sangha, but it just you know it, it misses the mark by a mile. You know, great fun, yeah. absolutely, but yeah. it, it's not a sangha. Well, and Osho really only promised you great fun, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he was not, he no, wasn't right. he was completely sincere. There was no misselling there. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Um, but yeah, and, and after a while, you know, I, I finally got to got to see that it's <clears throat> it wasn't working. Yeah. Um, and it and it wasn't working specifically because of of, of the associations. Fierce and tangled that goes on. Yeah. But once you're entangled, it's hard to get out of it because you because that's you. You know, that's yeah, that's who yeah. you become. Yeah. You really get for, such a... for me, I just basically got, got physically separated from them. You know, the whole place blew apart and everybody spread all over the world. Yeah. And you know, I, I ended up on a plane back to Amsterdam. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's one way. Yeah, it fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Down with teacher David. John. I'd like to go back to your final instructions for meditation. Because hearing each person it resolves in being that peaceful, blessing, peaceful mind. Yeah. Fourth foundation of mindfulness, David, exactly. referring to. Yeah. That's the practice. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to struggle with it. You don't have to wrestle with it. In the end, as Brett said, you show the restraint, and then you just be at peace with it. It's impermanent. Thank you. Yeah, that that fourth foundation of mindfulness is also another key to the Dharma. The peace with being at peace with the present quality of mind. It doesn't mean that your mind always presents itself to you as peaceful. It just means that you're at peace with an ever-changing quality of mind because it is that ever-changing quality of mind that is supple and responsive to the world we live in, but none of it is taken personally. That's the difference that David was describing. That is the foundation of mindfulness is just that. And if that's wobbly, it just means that your footing isn't quite set yet. I mean, John in meditation, it's just like that. Thank you, David. Now my teacher, Matt. John, excuse <laughs> me. Teaching tonight. Glad you're here. So we'll continue this um, Saturday. There's three more classes left into this structured study. And we're going to finish out the year with something that I think is really going to be wonderful, but I'm not going to announce it yet. We'll finish with uh, Meta, as we always do. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. 
This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. <clears throat> may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class. Peace. Thank you, John. Thank you. See you, Jane. See you Friday. See you Friday. Bye. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.